Good morning, LOC. My name is Rachel. Here from the word found in Matthew 1, 18 to 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, thank you, uh, Rachel, uh, for reading scripture for us. This morning, we have a treat uh, with <laughs> Pastor Bill Wong uh, with us. He's a longtime friend uh, and pastor uh, to me and to us here at LLC. He's been here for many, many times be before, and he really doesn't need an introduction. But I will introduce for those uh, that may be joining us for the first time uh, here today or you haven't yet met, uh, you haven't yet met him. Uh, pastor Bill was serving at uh, UGM, uh, New West Ministers, as the manager there for well over 25 years. And recently, he uh, transitioned over into another role that he's been uh, doing as part of UGM as a senior advisor to church relations. So now he's doing that more uh, full-time. And uh, so um, I want to welcome uh, Pastor Bill on, on up. Uh, I've really gleaned over the years from his teaching, uh, him and Auntie Jean, and just from their wisdom and life experiences. So let's give a very warm uh, LLC welcome to Pastor Bill. Yeah. Ooh, it works. <laughs> cool. All right. Ashley, it works. We're in business, right? All right, good. Well, good morning, and I do, like Jimmy, want to wish each and every one of you a blessed new year, and uh, it's good to be here. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, it's good to be with you and to be... Uh, uh, a part uh, of the journey that I've had a long time with this church. And I, I was just sitting there thinking uh, of the different pastors that had been here. And uh, when I first came here and I met <clears throat> a man named... Uh, well, now, memory is not good, so you're going to have to be patient with me. But uh, there was a man named Joe, Joseph, that was here. And uh, he was a brother. And then there was another sister that also greeted me that was here. I remember people, a person like Newver. Uh, remember Nuver? Nuver? Nuver is at a church where my, he is at the city church in uh, Burnaby, and that's where one of my staff also attend church, and uh, so I, he gives, keeps me informed on how Nuver's doing. But, <clears throat> you know, you get to be my age, uh, everything starts jumping out at you, all these strange 
memories come out at you and people, and uh, that includes Pastor Doug and you know, all these strange people that come into your life. And it's, it's, it's just kind of neat to have that experience. Um, I've just had a transition recently, and uh, that is uh, uh, we, uh, last uh, six months, we decided to do the Abraham thing, and that was God has called us to move. We actually moved out of North Langley. Uh, well, actually, not really moved out of North Langley, but kind of. We moved out of North Langley called Walnut Grove after 30 years, and uh, we went through this humongous journey. Uh, any of you who have moved, you would understand the suffering and the pain that's involved with this. It's, it's extremely stressful. It still is happening, but not so bad. But we went from North Langley, and the, and, and the goal was to go to North Surrey, to go to South Surrey. That was the, that was the goal. My son kept telling me because he was the one that suggested that his old dad and his, uh, his mother should move in with them because we submitted an application. They needed a SWAT leader and free corporate babysitting. So we applied and immediately we were accepted. We got the job. And uh, now we have two grandchildren that we're looking after. Now, let me also tell you, it's right in keeping with the theme of what's happening here, we were supposed to move to South Surrey, but that wasn't God's intention. He said, you know, we looked at every home that we possibly could have seen in South Surrey, thinking, ooh, this is a big place. Wow. You know, lots of activity, people, and boy, exciting. You know, Auntie Jude and I, we weren't exactly crazy about South Surrey. Sorry for those people that live in South Surrey, but we wanted to, we wanted to stay on the other side of the river but we thought, oh, probably won't happen. God's going to do this thing to us now. We're going to have to move and get used to trusting him even more again. And then this house in Fort Langley showed up. Fort Langley, you know? I thought, wow, that's where most people think it's, that's, that's close to paradise, you know, Fort Langley. And so this house became available, and we kept praying, and uh, we now live in Fort Langley. And I no longer have a mortgage and no longer have car payments, but I live with my son, my daughter-in-law, and two of these grommets called grandchildren. Now, yesterday, I was uh, coming home from dropping Auntie Jean off to work, and then I went home, and I had all these plans. You know, you know it's about 10 o'clock, I got all these plans. And then I'm sitting in my office, and then all of a sudden, there's this body standing in the doorway, about yay high. My three-year-old granddaughter, Amani. Amani says, Grandpa, and she's got popcorn in her hand too, can we play? And I'm going, now? She says, now. And she says it that way, now. So I said, okay, what are we going to play? We're going to play cars. Okay. Now I'm thinking I should pray. Because that means I have to go onto the ground, lay prostrate with a whole bunch of cars, and she's going to just be standing there telling me what to do with these cars. Uh, and so I'm going, um, maybe I should have prayed, but I didn't pray. I, I just kind of, you know, say, well, God, here we go. Grandpa time, right? Anyways, I get a phone call. And I usually get phone calls in the middle of these kind of And all of a sudden, my granddaughter is not saying anything. And then she walks over and she says, are you done? So I'm talking to another pastor saying, Pastor, I think I'm we can talk next week because I'm done. Now, this is all about God with us. 
This is the theme of the sermon today. And I'm using this illustration only because we think of Emmanuel, and I know that all these, all these folks are always talking about, ooh, it's Christmas time. We're going to now talk about Emmanuel. You know, God, Jesus with us. You know, it's always about, <clears throat> about always compartmentalizing religious and spiritual things into a little box and saying, this is when we talk about Emmanuel. This is when we talk about Jesus. Easter, we talk about the crucifixion. But we don't sometimes hone in on the fact that this is an everyday deal. Now we started in 2024. My question and challenge to you this morning, whether you hear anything I say after this, is, is God going to be with you this year? Is He going to be with you? You know, in I, it's the most intriguing thing that when we you know, read the text of God, Emmanuel, with us, it's, it's amazing to me how often we think that there are days that God's with us, and there are days that God is not with us. I got a confession to make. This is going to be amusing to you. It's going to be frightening to me. Now, when you're in the middle of moving, <clears throat> you've got to find things. You've got to find things. So they're no longer in this house of 30 years 3,700 square feet. Now we're in a basement suite. So I drove out here. I drove out here. Halfway, something was bothering me. And so I stopped the car, and I looked at my notes, and I looked at the sermon that I actually brought to church here today, and guess what? It isn't the notes of the sermon I'm supposed to preach today. Pastor Doug? That will mean that either I'm fired, I step down now, or I do that sermon again next Christmas, next year, okay? But what I've got in front of me is something that maybe God wants me to share even more this morning. So sorry if I kind of messed up. Uh, this doesn't happen to me often, but I don't also move every 30 years either. So that's, that's, that's you know. So what I'm going to speak on today, because I'm not going to try to remember every single note that I had, because I'm not that good. No, I'm not like the guys up here on, 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 the, on the screen. I'm going to share with you, besides asking if God is with you, I'm going to ask, when's the last time you had an encounter with Jesus? And the, actually, the, the text I want to speak of, and I'm not going to read it, with, read it all over for you necessarily, is out of Luke chapter 18. Verse, uh, and I guess it's going to be, uh, from what I can see in my notes, it's going to be chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, and it's going to be about a person who encountered Jesus. Now, this will fit okay. This is going to be all right, okay? Just simply because I now know that I'm no longer in control of my destiny here today. All right? So this is all about Jesus. Now, in 1968, there was a movie that was entitled The Odd Couple. Some of you might know a little bit about that. And it was a movie about two unlikely friends that started to room together in an apartment. Some of you might also appreciate that, as you maybe have roomed with other people. And one of them was extremely type A and very, very clean, detailed, down to, you know, everything was just the way it had to be. The other was not so much, as we can remember. It was eventually made into a TV show. It showed the way that two opposites really came together and they also grew and attracted, were attracted to each other, two men. We see that 
kind of thing happening in our lives and culture all the time, don't we? Two people who are really dramatically, diametrically opposed in a lot of ways, they come together and they make something beautiful. We see this all the time. Things that are opposite come in contact with each other and they tend to attract or make something beautiful. And we see this also often in the food that we eat. There's times where we don't know what to do with Jesus because what he's doing is taking two things that we think are opposites and, and bringing them together. He wants us to sense something. He wants us to feel something about what happens when people encounter Jesus. He wants us to know something about the type of people that encounter Jesus. And this is the text out of Luke chapter 18, which for some reason God wants me to talk to you about Zacchaeus, a tax collector. One of the things that I've been learning in the last little while is that whenever I've gone to speak, pastors will say to me, Bill, since COVID, we as churches have forgotten what we're here for. And in 2024, we need to be reminded about something called discipleship, or in other words, coming alongside people. And for the last 25 years, I have done that at Union Gospel Mission in the role of a manager with a team trying to get us to come alongside people who are hurting every single day. They're called homeless, they're called broken, they are the less fortunate. But you know something? That's just not the people that you encounter every day. In fact, there's no assurance that even the person sitting beside you in the pew today is not in that same situation where they are broken because it isn't about not having something, it's about not having Jesus in your life and in your heart. And so we will talk about spiritual brokenness as well. But here we have this guy. He's a tax collector. And for some reason, he climbs up a tree and he does, he does it without anyone trying to, you know, take attention to him. But here's a guy that's really considered the scum of the earth. He's not a guy that you would like to hang around with, especially when he's working for the government. <laughs> and in that context, it's the Roman Empire where he was working for we have hatred all over our country. We talk about racism. We talk about labels. We talk about how people are just not finding that safe place to belong. They're not finding someone that will sit down and take a few moments to talk about God with us in the sense of God is with us. God has got this planet and he's got a plan for it. And even though it's in chaos and confusion, he is there. And so the first thing I want to just talk to you a little bit about Zacchaeus that he points out in his journey and what he was doing, trying to climb a tree to find Jesus. I want to remind you that we don't seek out Jesus, but Jesus seeks us out. Okay? Jesus seeks us out. We get that backwards. Years ago, there was a campaign that was run in the city, uh, well, actually in Vancouver, but across Canada. Most of you probably weren't even born when this happened, but I remember it vividly as a teenager. It was called I Found It campaign. 
So you would drive down Fraser Street, Granville Street, Hastings, wherever you were in Burnaby, wherever you were in the Okanagan, you would see on billboards a, a very yellow sign and black words, I found it. So for weeks, everyone, is a big stir. No one knew where the origins were. No one knew what this was all about. I found it. So it was revealed a few months after that this was a Christian-rooted uh, uh, project. I won't mention their ministry because I don't want it to, I don't want them to be uh, demeaned or stained, but it was a Christian organization that basically said that they had found it. And so you could get bumper stickers, you could get buttons, you could, you know, people in church were worried, I found it. They didn't know what they were finding, but they were finding it, you know, whatever. And people were driving all over the place, and it was the emphasis, I found it. What was it? Jesus. The problem with that whole project was when they had a monster crusade to bring everyone together that found it, and hopefully they understood it was Jesus, there was no follow-up after that. So thousands of people who went to say they found it, they lost it. I think there's a challenge here that we have forgotten that Jesus seeks us out when people encounter him. So every time you meet with someone and someone comes into your life that doesn't know God, Jesus is, is encountering him or her. Zacchaeus is seeking all the same, isn't he? He's just doing it in a different way. He wants us to do it from a distance. He climbed that tree. He did not want to be seen. He wanted to know who this Jesus was from the top of a sycamore tree. The question in this passage that we read in Luke chapter 19 reflects to us. What do people do when they cry out? What does God do when people climb up a tree to look for him? And all these things, we recognize that in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, is the truth is, Jesus said to him, when he confronted Zacchaeus, when he ran into this guy, the scum of the earth in the eyes of people, because he was a tax collector, a government worker who stole and ripped people off, today's salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the, and I love this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You may have thought, you were the one who was trying to get me in your sights, Zacchaeus, but I'm the one who's coming to Jericho with a plan to get you in my sights because he says, I'm coming to your house today, right now. And I've learned over the years doing ministry that sometimes we have forgotten that when Jesus encounters people that we want to lead to him, or when even in our own lives, when Jesus came to you, that he was seeking you out. He had you in mind. This was no accident. This was no coincidence. And yet, we go through our lives every day passing people unaware and not even notice, noticing them. After my, <clears throat> after November 17th, when Auntie Jean and I moved out of our big home, you might say into a very little basement suite, this is where we hide now <laughs> in our new house, we, uh, I made a trip to Florida. And of course, most of you might know where, that, where I went. I went to hang out with Mickey Mouse, Disney, <gasps> Disney World. 
And when I went there, I went there because I needed to get away. My wife blessed the trip and said, you should go. And I went with my daughter, so this wasn't just something I did on a, did on a, a whim. My daughter Allison said, can you go, look, we need to have daughter, uh, father time, dad. And I said, okay, I, I, I'm in with that. And we went to Florida for a week and we went with some of her friends and whatnot. So when I got to, uh, when I got to Florida, my daughter said, dad, some of my old friends at Disney World are going to hang out with us. And I said, oh, really? Who are these people? They said, well, you remember Tyler? I said, oh, yeah, I remember Tyler years ago. Yeah, well, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna bring a friend of his, or not even a friend. He's going to bring his significant other with him. I said, okay. Now, the significant other person was a he. It wasn't a she. And I wasn't too surprised because I know that often when I've met my daughter's friends, some of them have a different lifestyle. So I decided that, okay, I need to pray about this because I want to I, I make sure that I provide the opportunity to make sure that I'm allowing Jesus to encounter these, these uh, two men. Nice guys, I like them. They're, I don't have anything against them because we're all broken. I, 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 talk, I look at people as people, I don't have to affirm their lifestyle, but I am responsible as a Christian to affirm them as human beings. And that's not a problem for me. I mean, if it was a problem for me, I couldn't even work at UGM then, couldn't I? I'd be focusing on what they're doing and not who they are. So it's interesting, as I keep thinking about <clears throat> Jesus, so anyways, I can hear the two of them whispering to each other, this is Allison's dad, he's a minister. What do you think? I don't know. You know. How is he going to treat us? I don't know. Will he preach at us? I don't know. They're going back and forth like this. So I had enough of this. So I said, guys, I think you're a little bit uptight about who I am and what I'm doing, what I do. I said, don't worry about what I do. Just accept me for who I am because I want to do the same to you and I'm going to. I don't, I'm not going to harp on. And you know something that was interesting they ask me more questions about the faith that I have, haven't had someone ask me in a long time. Two men in a relationship, considered married, but they were asking. And I said, I said to them, why are you asking me these things? Because we wanted to know if you were different. I said, in what way? We just wanted to know if truly Jesus loves us. We know we've got things to work out. We know this isn't... I mean, they're like any other couple in many, many senses. But they wanted to know if I had them on my judgment, my judgment seat. I was humbled by God. Because I started to learn that whether they're climbing up a tree, and in this, this text, if you ever read the text before that, there's Bartimaeus, the blind guy. He's looking up at Jesus from the ground. Here we got... Zacchaeus, and then we've got Bartimaeus. They're all in the same passage. One's looking down, looking for Jesus. One's looking up, you know? And I'm kind of going, do we understand in 2024 that God is with us in these times, in these years? Or are we going to get defensive? Are we going to get judgmental? Are we going to get, or, can, or will people understand that God loves them, 
not necessarily what they do, but loves them. Our job is to get people in front of Jesus if we can. And yet, at the same time, Jesus is seeking them out. And who am I to tell, them, tell, tell God when that's going to happen? Jesus is seeking. He's seeking people out. But he's asking us to be the conduit to also allow that to happen. Secondly, Jesus meets us where we are at when we encounter him. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down immediately. Now I'm coming to your home. I want to come where you are now. And you know about grace? Grace, amazing grace. God's grace meets us at our low. It doesn't meet us. You know, grace meets us at our low, or it doesn't meet us at all. And when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, it's, I'm coming to your house. Not tomorrow, not in a week, not when you get it cleaned up, not when you're deserving of having me come in, but I'm coming to your house right now, today. When you're in a total mess. When you're a total thief, Zacchaeus. When you're a chief tax collector, that's when I'm entering into your life. He says, oh man, that's great news, isn't it? But here's the thing. We all wish we had time to prepare for Jesus. But how much time would you need to clean up your life to the extent that you could actually invite a holy God into your house to sit at your table? I wonder about that sometimes, if God himself showed up at my new home in Fort Langley all of a sudden yesterday or today or tomorrow. Would I be running around like Martha, trying to get the place in order? You remember Martha and Mary. Martha was just so worried about everything else but Jesus. Mary was content to sit at the feet of the Savior. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the message of Jesus coming to seek and save. Jesus did not come for good Christian people or those who have it all together, but people who don't have it all together. People who are lost. People who are continually trying to find meaning in life. That's tough today when things are so chaotic. I love the way that the great author Brennan Manning puts it when he says this, Do you believe that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness? beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it? Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be? Do you believe that? You know, I just did a series with a church not far away from here, uh, I was doing their Sunday school series, and I was trying to ask them a question. In life, there are two roads. We're on a journey, there are two roads. One road is called the journey, the road to good intentions. The other road is the, is the road of grace. 
good intentions is saying, I better be at church at least three quarters of the year or Doug, Pastor Doug and Pastor Howard are going to take me aside and they're going to tell me how unspiritual I am. The other is the road that says, thank you, God, that you gave me a reason to get up this morning. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Not because it's sunshine. Not because I have money in the bank. Not because I'm feeling good. It's because I rejoice because I get up in the morning and I have a reason to get up. You know, at UGM, we often talk about, well, what's the use? We look like a social agency. We just give out food and we give out, you know, nice advice to get a house and whatnot if we can find them a place to live. And we go on and on. And yet, someone said to me, why, Bill, do you work there when... Some other agency does the same thing as you do. I said, it's quite simple. Because I decided that when I work at UGM, the, only, the main difference is I have to give them a reason to get up tomorrow, this morning so they will also have a reason to get up tomorrow morning. And that's not found in food or clothing. It's found in the hope that's found in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I Bible thump people? No, I just remind them <clears throat> that God loves them as a person. I always tell people, don't, sh- don't tell me you care about someone until you show me you care. Enough of this is always going on. I want to know what you're about. And over all the years in my ministry, I have failed to do that regularly. I have forgotten. I want to be theologically correct. I want to be up there popular like the other guys down, down in whatever, on TV, waving my hands so that people will pack into a... a you know, I, I got sucked into this, this vortex of dumbness. Thank you that. I have something to give the kingdom of God apart from Jesus. Dumb. I don't. Because my God is with us. God is looking for us. He's seeking us. And he will meet the people he needs to meet with or without our help. It's, it's, it's putting our life in context. Thirdly, Jesus meets us with grace when we encounter him. Wow. You know, the two roads on the journey, you know, are you living a life of good intentions where you make a list of religious things to do just to please God? Try pleasing everybody in this world. Try it. I've tried to please all the people I've met, and when I miss one of them, I get really upset. You know why? Because everything I tried to do was in my strength. But when I do it with God's grace, then I realize that at the end of the day, He has the last say. At the end of the day, He touches the heart. And that's why He could touch the heart of Zacchaeus. That's why he could say to him, I'm coming today, and I'm coming to help you get move on tomorrow. That's what's exciting. As Jimmy was telling about the days in the, that he is in the hospital, he's praying for people. Jimmy is moving forward on a road of grace because he recognizes that why he does that is not because he's smarter and he knows everything and he works in a hospital where all the people come running to him because He understands that it is God who brings us to that place. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Is he with you today? Is he with you tomorrow? I'm not asking, are you spiritually set set, that you've read all the Psalm 119 and you're doing, ooh, I'm so spiritual. He's asking, do we have God in our, right in front of us, take us on that front door, running in and out to any, and even with sometimes a three-year-old granddaughter that says, are you done? (laughs) This is the scandalous, the scandalous nature of grace entering in, 
meeting us tenderly and saying, I'm coming to your house today. Or, what do you want me to do for you? One thing grace refuses to do is to allow us to ride the fence. It's not soft. Grace is strong. This is the way grace works. It finds us broken, leads us to the place of wholeness. And then we experience restoration and sight. Grace finds somebody low in every way. Grace needs to bring you down. Look at what grace always does. Grace always restores people to walk with Jesus, whether it picks us up off the ground or brings us down out of the tree. The result is wholeness, salvation, life, life with Jesus. Then look at it, life with others. Rescue people are restored people. Redeemed people are communal people. It's Jesus inviting us not only to be forgiven, but then to forgive, to make things right. This is what Zacchaeus does after encountering the grace of God. Well, I've got to make things right with the people around me because God has, by his grace, entered in and made me right with him. He decided that he was going to take care of business that he had hurt people by stealing from them. And that was his conscience speaking through the Spirit of God saying, i got to make things right. Wow. Encountering the grace of God. Making things right with people because God has, by his grace, entered in and made me right with him. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He says, I'm going to make things right. Why? Because when grace meets us, it meets us at our low, empty-handed, certainly. God gives it to us freely. Grace, while it is given freely, it demands everything of us. It demands everything of us. And is that easy? You better believe it isn't, because I have found it difficult to be graceful based on God's grace, not based on my feelings of humility. The thief can no longer steal because the grace of God has entered into this man's life definitely changed. He can't go on living that way. He's always lived because the next day is going to be different. Dear friends, as you go into 2024, my challenge to you, and I believe what God is challenging all of us, is that in 2024, is God going to be with you or is it just going to be religion going to church? Is it going to be, are you going to be Satisfied with just going to church or are you interested in being the church? There's a difference, folks. Going to church is easy. Thousands and millions of people are in church today because they went to church, but are we interested in being the church? And that's going to require you to leave this building and watch Jesus bring people to him where they're at. There's no more room for spending time just talking about your faith. We need to go out and be that conduit for God to allow people to hear Jesus because Jesus is seeking them out and that's where it ends. Jesus is the one. He brings people to the cross, not through you and my, my thinking of being religious. I think we need to be challenged today. But I think, we don't, I think we need to be gracious. I think we need to be caring. I think that it's important to recognize that Jesus came to rescue that person who was a victim and the one that's also a victimizer. Bartimaeus was a blind man. He was a victim. 
Zacchaeus was a victimizer. He was hurting and taking and abusing. But when you look at people, what do you see? What they did or didn't do or how they did it and how they shouldn't have done it? Or do you see brokenness? Because poverty, homelessness, the less fortunate, guess what? We're all on that same cruise ship. I may not have, I may not be without a home, but is Jesus in my heart, in my spiritual home? We all need to understand that this is a bigger picture than what we think we think things are. Just to close, Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verse 8. It's one of the verses I memorized when I was quite young. But it says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's been nothing that we did. I didn't find Jesus. I thank God he came and sought out me and found me to seek and to save that which was lost. As we come to the table this morning, grace allows us to do that. It meets us exactly where we are. And as Pastor Doug will lead us in communion in a second here, we will learn and be reminded that grace enters our life and then leads us into the life of God. It meets us at the table and it carries us to the banquet of Jesus. May it be true of your life that you're just not someone that goes to church and you feel nice and warm and fuzzy about the fact that you do that. It's a reminder that all that who we are, even in these days as we move forward, it is by his grace. And when we encounter him, it is, an, it is certainly different than what other people promise you. But it is only through Jesus Christ that we are saved because it is the gift of God. Thank you, Jesus, for this few moments. Thank you, Lord, for giving me grace to share a few thoughts. Though not written on the piece of paper I had, but I brought with me. It was found in the Word of God and in the piece of paper and through other notes. But whatever we have said today, Lord, each heart, Lord, is different here. Each heart receives it differently. But as we encounter you, may we remember that you are seeking us out. You seek us out and you seek others out. You seek others to come to you. You seek, uh, seek us out to help us grow and you help us, Father, to understand that we walk on a journey of grace and not of good intentions. So thank you, Lord, for this church. Bless them not in what they do, but who they are. And what they do will reflect who we are and that's those of us who love you. In your name we pray, amen.